Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom. He, him, and Don Lister, she, her, and Anetta Itzchak, she, her. Welcome, Anetta. We are delighted to have you on the podcast with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. And I pronounced your name correctly, yes? That's right, yes, Itzchak. Oh, I'm so relieved. So relieved. Anetta is a yoga teacher a trainer and mentor, a somatic coach, founder of Golden Mandala Yoga, Soma Institute's delivering trauma-informed yoga and embodied resilience teacher training. She also offers an 80-hour trauma-informed yoga and embodied resilience teacher training. And I know she's going to be running that in May and October of this year 2022 and I am sure into many years into the future so we'll have an opportunity to chat a little bit about that it feels uh, really relevant to me I think we are all reeling from several years of trauma having come through the experience of living with COVID and now stepping into a situation where we are witnessing firsthand a war playing out in front of us. And I know as we were chatting just before uh, we came on, I'm personally finding it really hard to put my feet down anywhere that feels safe internally. Uh, and that's a real struggle. And so I'm really looking forward to our conversation to maybe talk a little bit more around that. And I know that you're Polish, Anita, so there, this has particular resonance for you. One of the things I would say is that at the very beginning of this um, horrific war, I looked for the people that were helping. And that was the bit that kept me feeling less distressed for me. You know, I'm being very selfish here. But I was thinking the horror of what I'm seeing and look at all these people helping. There is so much good in the world still if we look for it. Uh, it doesn't take away from the horror, but, you know, it gave, gave me a a sense of something to um to feel hopeful about perhaps yeah let's check in with each other and um, before we start our conversation which i'm really excited about daniel how are you i am okay dawn um lots going on um personally um and business-wise um which you know feels like you, a bit like what you were saying, Dawn, lots of transition, lots of change, feeling very unsettled mm. in lots of parts of my world that have been settled and stable for a long time. So, yeah, just kind of feeling into, you know, how to navigate it all. Um, one thing, one piece of news that um, is important to share with everybody, and actually, Dawn, I haven't shared it with you either, is I got a place for the London Marathon. So oh, wow. um, I, on the 2nd of October of 2022, I'm going to be running 26.2 miles <laughs> around London. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. So I, I, I think what has happened is something that is a bit of an anomaly, really, from speaking to people that I know that run, is this is the first time I've ever applied. I applied for the ballot and I got in first time. <laughs> I know people that have been trying for 15 years to get in. Um, so I'm feeling very privileged. 
Um, probably not for everybody, I know. It's probably for many people thinking of even, you know, running a marathon is 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 enough to put many people off. But for me, I really enjoy running for my mental well-being. Um, and I feel I could use this as an opportunity to raise and support people, raise money and support, um, support people who are desperately in need. So I, I think because I've got a ballot place, I haven't got to do it for a charity, but I think I'm going to do it for the Disaster Emergency um, Committee, um, which is the, the organisation that oversees all, all of the emergency money that gets raised. And it has lots of different, you know, like the Red Cross and Oxfam, and they, they donate the money to different charities depending on the work that they're doing. And I, I, I think I'm going to do it for them. So, um, yeah, obviously, you know, be really encouraging if people do have some spare pennies, which is a real, you know, a real ask at this moment in time with everything that's going on. But I'm going to be putting a, a Just Giving page up on the Anna Harter page and on my personal pages. And it'd be really lovely to, to be supported that way. Or if people are around on the 2nd of October and they want to come and cheer me on, I'll be very grateful of <laughs> some familiar faces calling out my name. <laughs> my God, Daniel, you, well, I was going to say you deserve a medal, but I think you get one. I get one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got to get across the line, that's all. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, I don't think I'm in the country then. I think I'm in Italy at that point. So I, if, if I am in the country, I, I will absolutely come and support you. I'm also going to do a marathon. I might do a Netflix marathon. <laughs> 24 episodes of Shit's Creek <laughs> in one that, sitting. There you go. That's good to me. <laughs> that's my idea of a marathon with snacks and a hot water bottle. That sounds like my kind of marathon. Oh my goodness. I take my hat off to you. I don't know. I could, eat, I could walk 24 miles with several blisters, but wow. Amazing. Amazing. Congratulations. I, I know Thank that's. You. A big dream of yours. So. Well, I haven't done it yet, so. Oh, but you will, you will, and you'll do it really well, you know, and you'll really look after yourself while you're doing it. So that's amazing. Thank you. Anessa, how are you? Uh, first of all, I want to say congratulations, Daniel. That's that's great. Uh, really lovely to see combining something that you really want to do and mm -hmm. to actually raise some money to support others. It's it's really great. I love the combination um definitely a worthy goal and i'm sure you will enjoy it if that's been your dream so have fun with it thank you <laughs> and i i feel um, i feel a mixture of things uh, i guess i feel like we like i and everybody else have been through two years of going through the mill and coming out at the end and then being Polish, obviously, and having my whole family in Poland with everything that is happening in Ukraine, that's bringing up quite a lot of um, anxiety and worry. So what I have noticed is that when it happened, um, when it first happened, uh, it kicked off in Ukraine. My body has responded the same way as it responded at the beginning of pandemic. It's like I couldn't sleep. I couldn't settle down. I couldn't focus. It has come down a little bit now, just like it did during the pandemic, because I know 
I can ask for support and I can speak to others and I can reach out to others. And I also have got daily practice that, you know, helps me to regulate my nervous system. But there is that sense of unease mm. that is still lingering that I am feeling. Um, and I, I guess one of the things that comes up for me is questioning, questioning, you know, what I'm doing and uh, why am I doing this? And, and in a context of everything that is happening, is it worth doing it? Um, I think these are, these are the kind of questions that come up and, you know, thinking about if it escalates, you know, what, what would that mean for my family, for example? So, uh, you know, one of the things was that my parents realized their passports were out of, um, out of date and kind of the fear that came up to get them to reapply for their passports. So they have got passports in case anything happens and it spills into Poland and they have to leave, you know, kind of forward planning um, way of thinking. So I'm trying to get through, you know, with my work, my work is busy supporting my clients doing the stuff that I'm doing in my daily life, like taking my dog out and com connecting with the family and my partner. And then there is that, and you know, this thing that is just there. And I think on top of the two years of the pandemic, this is like another blow. And this is what we were talking about earlier. You know, another blow, another thing on top of something that's been going on for the last two years. So quite a challenging time, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been profoundly difficult for so many people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the other thing is, it's like, you can't see an end. Like there's a, so, it's, it's, there's so much unknown, you know, the economy's changed, people's spending and well-being habits have changed. Uh, relationships are really being challenged by being thrown together so intensely for so many, for a couple of years. And what we're seeing at the center where I work as a therapist um, is a huge increase in the number of people who are struggling in their relationships. And then you said something, I can't remember what was quite exactly what you said, but it's almost like that existential question, like what's the point? I find myself doing that a lot right now, like saying to myself, what's the point? <laughs> Why am I bothering? I mean, it doesn't last, thank God. Otherwise, you know, who knows what would happen. But there is a lot of questioning of the world's in a different shape and I don't quite know where I fit anymore or how I fit or how I want to fit. It, feels, it all feels quite overwhelming, really, so... I think where I am this week is very much in that place of I've accepted that there's a huge amount of quite significant change that's coming my way. And I'm quite comfortable with change. That doesn't worry me. It's more the effort I'm going to have to put in to manage the change. That's I don't know that I've got the reserves for it. I feel emotionally and physically really tired. You know, I had long COVID, perimenopausal, got kids. And, you know, it's hard, isn't it, for all of us? But on the upside, and we said this before, I, you know, I'm looking at an outpouring of love, which feels great. You know, an outpouring of love from the Polish people towards the people of Ukraine and other countries also, you know, and people looking for ways to help. You know, our therapy centre is running a um, charity day. 
So we're all giving up our time for free to offer sessions and treatments and there's workshops happening. And I've got um, a great theatre company coming to um, do some, they're doing like shadow puppets with Ukrainian folk tales. So there's lots of lovely things happening, our community coming together to offer support. And then the money's going to a charity. I think it's in Romania, actually, that look is look, taking in Ukrainian children who are terminally ill. So it's, that's the bit that I'm kind of, I try and look for the people that are kind and that are helping and align myself there because otherwise it all just feels really dark, doesn't it? Really, really dark. So um, maybe we'll stick a little thing up in our show notes where people can donate to some nice charities to support Ukraine. Maybe there's one that you know of, perhaps Anita, that we could mention something that, that maybe sings out to you. I'm sure our listeners would love to support in some way if they haven't already. And just speaking of our listeners, I um, checked out our reviews recently. I, I didn't know how to do it before because I can't do technology. Worked it out and was very pleasantly surprised to have so many lovely reviews. So Daniel, can you share a few? Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been really lovely to read through these. I didn't even realise they were there were so many of them. <laughs> Um, but just to read, just read a couple. I'm literally just picking these out. Um, so from Rachel, honest and inspiring. So glad I had the opportunity to listen to Daniel and Dawn's new podcast today. What transpired from it was totally unexpected. I listened intently to their life stories and felt emotion over some of the pain and turmoil that they'd experienced while transitioning from childhood to adulthood. It led me to turn inwards and analyse my life, where and if I felt any numbness or unhappiness, how did I deal with it? Most importantly, how do I care for myself now? How can I improve the care I give to myself now? It was really thought-provoking. I truly felt that I was sitting with them, a part of the conversation, but also opening up and acknowledging my life um, during this time with kindness and without judgment. Thank you for being so honest, open, and kind and supportive. Oh, what a lovely review. It's nice. <laughs> really nice. I wonder what we were saying. I know, I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I want to listen to that. That sounds really good. So read another one. Tell me another one. So, another one um, from Yoga Daily A welcome new podcast for yoga. Thank you, Dawn and Daniel, for sharing your stories and the ways in which yoga can touch people. The stories and sharing, sharing were very relatable and found myself nodding my head throughout the podcast. Look forward to future listening. Oh, thank you, Yoga Daily. I know. What a lovely thing. What lovely things people have written. Mm, great. Can you do one more? Let me find one more. So this is a perfect opportunity, listeners, for you to send in a review or connect with us on our social media and ask a question or engage with us in some way. And you never know, we might even invite you in for a little chat at some point. So please do get involved. We're really looking forward to over the next six to nine months revisiting some of our old work and you know having conversations around some of the these incredible people that we've spoken to okay there's one more that i found um it's from 
Critical Well Princess. And the, the review just says, really makes you think. Excellent podcast. I know nothing of yoga, but this really gets you thinking about how to cope or not. My favorite quote, yoga got me to the door, but I had to walk through it. Oh, I said that. I'm going to own it. I'm owning it. I remember saying that. <laughs> Thank you, Pretty Well Princess. I'm liking your handle. It's very cool. So let's... I think I, think I know who that is, actually. Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gosh, and I want to know now. Well, tell me later. Tell me later. Okay, so let's crack on. So, Anita, tell me what is... How, no, not what is. Can you explain a little bit about what it is you do and how you came to be doing it? Mm, great question. How much time do we have? <laughs> An hour. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm going to start at the beginning. So I came to UK, to London, when I was 18. Uh, and I didn't know anybody and um, I didn't have any family. A friend of mine came with me for three days and then left me. And I was always very introverted, quite anxious young person, left on my own 30 years ago in Brixton, <laughs> coming from a, you know, from a country that was, didn't have that many uh, outsiders in it culturally. And yeah, and I just, trying to find my way and it was a very 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 difficult time and somehow I found my way to yoga somehow I found my way to mindfulness and loving kindness um, I was looking for something to help me to manage my uh, emotional turbulence my chaotic lifestyle um, my sense of being completely alone uh, in a very unpredictable situation. And I came across Buddhist Center in Bethno Green and I came across yoga, I came across mindfulness and that provided like a little oasis for me. And so since then, yoga has always been this kind of oasis, an oasis where I could just relax. I could just feel safe, even if it was just for a few moments. And I could allow myself to just not have to protect myself, not have to fight, not have to work hard, but really just be with myself. And I've done a lot of, since then, so I've been practicing for almost 30 years. Since then, I've, I've done lots of different styles of yoga and, um, you know, I've done Ashtanga and I've done Vinyasa and, and the yoga has been one path for me. And the other path was when I started working in dual diagnosis. So I started volunteering initially. I worked for Turning Point. I did a lot of training with them. and. So dual diagnosis is mental health and substance misuse, working primarily with people who have got long-term chaotic, chaotic substance use and everything else that comes with it, which is prison and crime and um, mental health, physical health, um, 
you know, homelessness, difficulties in relationships, all of that kind of stuff. And so that was the, for quite a few years, well, for 16 years, I, I was on two different paths. Professionally, I was working in social care, supporting other people and learning a lot about trauma, learning a lot about mental health, learning a lot about um, everything that comes with it, really, those challenges. People who have experienced a lot of childhood trauma that then resulted in very chaotic adult lifestyle. And then there was a yoga yoga that was keeping me quite sane. (laughs) And um, 12 years ago, I decided I was working in a crisis center in London for a crisis detox center in London called City Roads, a very unique service for very chaotic drug users. And I decided to become a yoga teacher. What I learned was, I I realized that the approach that we had was really good, but was coming from, it wasn't very holistic. It was quite, especially in a crisis center, crisis detox center, it was quite medical. We were supporting people in, in the way that we could, but somehow the body was, and when I say body as a holistic kind of approach, was not uh, part of it. And so I trained as a mindfulness yoga teacher um, and meditation teacher, and I brought that understanding and that approach into my work. Um, and so for a few years, I worked in social care. We moved from London to Kent. On, uh, you know, I live on the coast in Kent, which is really wonderful. And when we moved to Kent, I started working more alongside of social services and working more with families, the families that were um, experiencing a lot of uh, issues related to child protection. Uh, so mental health, domestic violence, um, substance misuse, chaotic substance misuse, the kind of so-called toxic trio. Uh, as it's called. And I was teaching on weekends and evenings, and I was working full-time in social care. I was part of the group that set up the services across UK, uh, across Kent, for Troubled Families Agenda. So I was training and mentoring and supervising frontline workers. And six years ago, I decided to leave social care to do what I love doing, which is working with people in a much more holistic way. But what I found that those two paths, social care and working in very much in a biopsychosocial approach and the yoga, which is much more holistic, especially from the kind of mindfulness point of view, I wanted to bring them together. My, the way that I was teaching was already influenced by my uh, work in social care, by my training, uh, And so when the pandemic came in, I knew that I had skills to share with other people. And I realized that I need to bring that in much more, in a much more official way. And that's when I set up the training, uh, trauma-informed teacher training, because I realized that many yoga teachers didn't have those skills that I had. Skills, you know, I had 16 years of frontline work, of working with thousands of clients. and supporting other people, mentoring and training other people in working in the biopsychosocial way. And so I wanted to share that with, with other yoga teachers because we were talking about that earlier. You know, our landscape has changed a lot 
it's no longer enough to know how to teach breathing or to know how to teach some postures and movements. People come now to yoga because they have very high stress levels, anxiety levels. Uh, experts are talking about mental health crisis. And we know that, you know, we're not at the end of pandemic. The life is not going to go back to what it was before. We need different kind of skills, uh, different tools to be able to support our clients and our communities. So interesting what you were saying there. Um, there's a, quite a lot of parallels with my life, actually. My, my husband is a social worker, has been for the last 20 years. So I understand intrinsically the, the, the experiences of being a social worker. He also works with children as well. Um, and I really, really like what you touched upon just towards the end of what you were saying around you know, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time is the basic training that we get as yoga professionals doesn't even scratch the surface with what is going to be coming into your regular classroom or slightly more worrying now is teaching people online who you have very little to no relationship with at all. They just pop up in a box and, you know, having that level of responsibility for somebody or being blasé about it can be equally damaging in, you know, in, in either way of, you know, of, of, of approaching, you know, approaching, offering practice to them. And it, it would be really useful to hear a little bit more about, you know, what, what you understand to be trauma-informed yoga and how you teach that within the settings that that, that you do mm, great question yeah so well trauma-informed yoga as a term came from um, the kind of research done by dr feliti um, at the end of 20th century so 1990 1998, 2000, year 2000, he did this research around adverse childhood experiences. And what he realized was that um, those adverse childhood experiences, basically childhood trauma, then impacts, there is a huge correlation between adult mental health. And that is definitely my experience, you know, working with clients uh, in dual diagnosis, they all experience childhood trauma. And so the, the understanding behind the you know, trauma-informed approach is that some practices, some treatments, some way of working with clients can re-traumatize people. And so being aware about how trauma is created, being aware about what triggers are, being having skills to be able to read and understand what's going on for somebody who's in front of you without them having to say to you, because often people can't say um, or they won't say for whatever reason. It doesn't feel safe for them to say that they had those experiences. They, um, you know, it requires us from us certain kind of skills. And 
understanding of the nervous system. You know, I teach polyvagal theory mm. and understanding how it works for us <laughs> as yoga practitioners. And that's something, you know, it's like there are different ways that you can understand something. You can understand the concept mm. and you can understand it on the mental level, on the mind level. You can understand the theory, but actually taking it into practice and to understand it, okay, I understand polyvagal theory. And how does it relate to me as a human being? Mm. How does it play out in me? In, you know, and how does it play out for my students? That takes it to another level. I think what's so, you know, so pertinent about, you know, trauma specifically is, and, you know, being a survivor of trauma myself, is you find amazing ways to cover up actually what is happening within yourself and you know to 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 be in front of a classroom of people and to be aware that every everything you say or do every time you move everything you everything every interaction you're having with everybody else could traumatize someone or may not that 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 feels quite dangerous in some way but then also as well actually makes me realize you know what a what a privileged place we have as teachers to be able to hold this space for people and it feels like there's a real fine line between actually you know how do we how do we create a place that hopefully feels comfortable and considered for people i'm trying to avoid using the word safe because actually no one knows what's safe for anybody else and it, it keeps coming up in these conversations that we have on this podcast actually so i'm trying to say a considered space you know where at least the person has thought about <laughs> what's happening but how do, how you know how how can how can a yoga professional be informed of of how they're approaching the 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 interaction that they're having with with their students yeah yeah really good question and such an important one it's it's you know something that you touched there what is safety how can we do that and the you know one of the ways that we can do it is to have those conversations and have appropriate training like from my perspective, every yoga teacher should learn what trauma-informed approach is, you know, to understand the nervous system, to understand the physiology, to understand how to translate, you know, this uh, physiology into real kind of stuff, to have skills to be able to observe, to have skills to be able to support somebody. Um, you know, so we're talking about concepts and we're talking about very practical approaches uh, mm. that, that we can bring into, into our work, like, you know, such basic things as consent. When I was training, even when I was training 12 years ago, you know, we were trained, even though I trained in mindfulness yoga and the person, my teacher was amazing and he was a trained clinical psychologist working at the time at the, in the priory when I was working in a crisis center. Uh, he had a lot of understanding, but we were still kind of taught about adjustments, you know. And if I think now back 
to that, standing behind somebody, pulling their hips in downwards facing dog. I mean, my, my whole body tenses up. It's like working with somebody who's experienced, for example, sexual trauma and doing something like this. And this is not something that people would share with you unless they know you quite well and you have got very trustworthy relationship with them. Mm-hmm. You know, that potentially is triggering. But one thing that I really want to say, Daniel, is it's not about you worrying all the time that I'm going to trigger somebody off because you can't, you can only control it to a certain level mm. because you can say everything all right. And it, that person still might get triggered because there is something within them, the word that you say or how you say something that will shift them into a different state because of the connections, inner connections uh, within their physiology or within their memory that they have to do with that word or that phrase or what you're doing. But it's also about having skills and understanding to notice that somebody shifted into a different, uh, they're presenting in a different way, they shifted into different experience and to know how to then support them within that. And I'm not saying that we have to be therapists, you know, as a yoga teacher, we're not therapists, but we're talking about those skills that um, come as a bottom up approach, you know, that can help somebody on a physiological level um, rather than going through the you know details of the story of what happened to that because that's more therapy stuff absolutely Dawn did you want to say something I want to say many things <laughs> I, 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 my first thought is just how important that all yoga teachers hear this episode first thing you know and I'm with you and it's I was very much taught about adjusting. I did endless workshops and adjustments, did lots of adjustments that now make me die. I think about them and I'm like, oh my God, these poor people, what was I thinking? What was I doing? But, you know, also I've learned to send compassion back to myself, you know, because we've all done things in the past that, you know, from a place of not knowing um, where we may have got it wrong. So, you know, that, sending compassion and kindness back to the that younger part of you that maybe didn't get it right and did was doing the very best that they could I was also thinking and maybe you could speak a bit to this is that one of the things I think shows up a lot in class is people who are very much in that people pleasing space so you can see they're in a lot of distress and discomfort in a posture despite the fact you have suggested adjustments and modifications that will make this more comfortable for them make the 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 shape the ability to be present um to stay with their breath whatever but they won't do that they won't use their the equipment or take the alternatives that you offer perhaps because you know that's their trauma response is to stay to not want to stand out or not want to draw attention to themselves or to get it right in some way, because it just doesn't feel safe not to. And I think, you know, it's really important for me to try to set up an environment within a class that really allows for all, you know, everybody to be where they're at in that moment and to feel okay with it. And that can be really hard for people, isn't it? Could you, could you maybe speak a little bit 
maybe you've got some more wisdom than I've got around that. Yeah, thank you, Don. There is a lot of wisdom in what you just said, definitely. And, you know, from my perspective, it's exactly the same. My experience is very similar to yours, that people, uh, and it used to drive me really mad, that like people, uh, you know, you ask people, or I used to ask people to go a little bit deeper in the post. And the people that didn't need to go deeper used to go much deeper. And people who needed, you know, who maybe could have gone deeper didn't. And then bringing the understanding of the trauma-informed approach and really understanding that, you know, there is a lot of survival stuff that we bring in. I mean, mean, we always bring the fullness of ourselves into everything that we do. So people bring everything with them to that yoga class. And as you said, if they are, uh, if they coping strategy is to be quite passive and to do people-pleasing behavior because that's what got them through difficult situations in the past, they will be doing that um, in everything that they do. And I find that one of the things that I do a lot um, in the classes that I teach, it's like I repeat the same stuff because a lot of it is around conditioning. Like people sometimes don't hear um, the first few times saying things like, you know, uh, you can come out of this pose if it doesn't feel comfortable or if it's painful or it feels like you are disconnecting from the breath and you're struggling too much. I say things like you can give yourself permission to do that and you've got my permission to do this as well. You know, saying things like don't look at anybody else. Everybody's got a different body. Mm-hmm. So they don't have your body. They don't have your ability or your challenges within your body. So just stay with your experience. Little things like this can really help because then people start internalizing, internalizing those those words uh, and start saying that to themselves. It's like, you know, I often think the self-compassion in many classes that I've been to, there is there is not much self-compassion the way that people practice. There is like, you're really going into it. And, you know, yes, there is a challenge. And I mean, I've seen people struggling so much, for example, in, you know, yin classes. (laughs) It's all about letting go. It's all about surrender. It's all about being present and mindfulness. And yet there is no compassion, no self-compassion. And if we can teach and help our students to understand what self-compassion is, what being kind to yourself is, and what the real meaning of yoga is, which is connecting with yourself, which is to really understand what it is that you need, then people can adjust their own practice within the group setting. So for example, we can do the same yoga postures with different modifications, with different intention and different energy within that. That's really interesting what you just said. And it's made me think about to be able to share that with a a group or an individual, we need to be doing that work ourselves. Completely. So 
if you aren't doing that work within yourself, you've only got a reservoir that is so deep to be able to pull from. And by allowing, and this is what really bothers me about teacher training programs is, is there isn't enough real self-reflection <laughs> that is offered because actually that self-reflection needs to be done for a long, long time before. And this is only, you know, this is now what, 20, 22 years of practicing yoga, 12 years of teaching roughly. I now feel able to actually hold the space for people who are suffering and before it would always be performative or distractive or you know don't go there or I'm not quite sure I know what I'm doing uh, and 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 that level of work that you have to do within yourself is really hard and you do have to look at those things that have distressed you traumatized you that have caused you to you know make life turns and 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 directions that so much of what i see modern yoga is aimed at is ignoring or kind of pacifying those things making those things feel okay coming out of yoga with a smile on your face which of course we want to do that but actually that isn't the only outcome that can happen it's as valid to come away feeling low or sad or, you know, knowing that there's more to do on yourself rather than it being this kind of, you know, almost like a whitewash of this is, you know, if you have any emotion other than happiness, then you've done it wrong. Yeah, I love what you just said. Really love it because this is exactly what we do in the training, you know, in, in the trauma-informed training right from the beginning what I say is it's about you <laughs> those practices if you're going to teach those practices you have to practice them yourself you know it's 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 like yoga you can't really teach yoga unless you practice yoga and if your practice has become your teaching then that's that's out of out of balance you need to come back to your own practice mm -hmm. and if you you know the more you work with your own stuff the more you practice self-compassion the more you uh, allow space for all those different emotions because that's what makes us human we, you know our ability to experience all of it the more you hold safe space for yourself, safe as safe for me to explore it, to acknowledge it, to witness it, the more you can do it for others. Because there is a one, one definition of uh, trauma that I really like, which is trauma happens when our experience is unwitnessed and unacknowledged. And so the healing is the opposite of it. You know, the, the healing, trauma healing, trauma recovery comes from the space when our experience is witnessed and acknowledged. And some of it is acknowledged and witnessed by somebody else. And some of it is learning to hold that space and that acknowledgement and that self-compassion 
for ourselves and different parts of ourselves. Those parts that maybe we rejected, we denied, we um, we don't want to go there because they are too painful. And so building those resources for ourselves is the key to be able to hold a safe space for others. I think that's so profound what you've just said. Um, I was thinking as I was listening to you about some clients that I'm working with right now and how important it, it is to establish at the beginning of working therapeutically, and this includes in our yoga practice, a grounded space that they feel resourced in. Because sometimes when people come into physical practice, you know, an embodied practice, it's the first time they start to notice what's happening in their body, like what they've been holding, what they've been denying, what's how their body's showing up for them in life, because they've been in their head and they've been living in their trauma response, perhaps for a lifetime. So when we bring them into relationship with their body in a new way, you know, hopefully a compassionate and kind way, that can be like opening a floodgate. So I think part of certainly what I try and offer in class and in sessions also is like you can dip your toe in and pull back. We have to become slowly more resourced. Like we can step into a feeling and, and notice it and feel like actually this really feels overwhelming and I don't feel like it's right for me right now and have permission not to need to go there. And there's a difference, and I'd like you to speak to this if you could, there's a difference between putting it back in the box and stepping to the side. And I kind of think, you know, more and more teachers are going to be witnessing this in classes now. So is, they need to know. And I've, obviously they need to come in your training. But, you know, just as a starting point, could, could you maybe speak a little around that, perhaps? Yeah, yeah really great points, Dawn. So, you know, putting something in a box is a great survival strategy that sometimes we have to do for the duration of the time because that's the only thing that we can do uh, at the time. But it's, an, it's not a long-term strategy that will help you stay healthy and connected um, and grounded. And so, you know, one of the things that are really important is to understand that the slower we do something, the more we connect with our own pace, the more we are able to integrate it. The quicker, and this is, this is what, you know, what we talk about re-traumatizing. Some practices can be too much they're just too overwhelming to the system, whether it's the breathing practice or it's the yoga pose or a way of practicing or, um, you know, being asked to do something and not being, being asked for consent or not being given options because our, our nervous system and our body response is automatic. And so, if I feel unsafe, my body will tell me. And there is a cascade of, um, you know, responses within my body before I even know what's happening. That's the beauty of and the wisdom of the body. And so really understanding that we have to go at the pace that is right for that person. As you just said, Don, you know, 
put the put the toe in and then pull back if that's okay and making it safe for people to do that and it's the same you know in our yoga practice you can do this but you don't have to go 100% and you can do different options and i'd like to invite you to do that now you can choose not to do that and that's okay as well and so when i think about the kind of progression you know and our conditioning and our responses to life you know the first thing that is so important is to know how i am how am i right now in this moment not yesterday not two days ago but in this moment how am i within myself and within my environment right now right here and only once i know how i am then i can understand what i need in this moment and only then I can take steps, empowered steps, to meet my own needs. And so what, what often happens is that it's like we miss out some of the steps. When you experience trauma, you often, you know, our inner experience is so overwhelming. Everything is kind of entangled and really just overwhelming. There is just cascade of responses and I can't control it. Or we just try to understand our needs and it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall we just try you know we we read magazines the gurus tell us that we have to do it that way and we try to do it and maybe it meets our needs and maybe it doesn't or we don't feel empowered to take those steps empowered steps to really meet our needs and to say yes no i like it i don't like it i want to do it i don't want to do it and so, you know, our yoga and our teaching can provide a really great way of helping somebody in such a, a small on the yoga mat kind of way to start noticing how am I in this moment? You know, not in the life because that can be too overwhelming, but in this moment on my yoga mat. That is a little bit of narrower kind of focus. How am I and what do I need? What do I need from today's session? Yes, the teacher is going to teach something, but what actually do I need? And what are the kind of steps I can take to meet those needs in this session or in this class with this person? So I feel empowered, so I walked away empowered. And it's not, you know, what, what you said, Daniel, it's like sometimes I can't walk away with a smile. Sometimes that's not right response. Like if, if I experience some loss or if, if I experience bereavement or if, you know, something else happens, you know, the response of smiling is not the right response, but there is another response that can meet that need. Mm. And, you know, we can learn how to do it in a much more effective and empowered way. There's so much information in there. Thank you so much. I was I was just reflecting as well. I was thinking back through the years of you know people coming along to classes, and I, one of the things that I think because I'm I've always been a therapist, or for a good chunk of it, there is an element of there's always been an element and understanding of trauma. Perhaps what I wasn't always aware of consciously, anyway, was was I re-traumatizing people. You know, was that happening? Or not was I necessarily, but was that happening in the class? And I think that's really important. But the other thing was, that came to me was like, those aha moments that happen for people, that's really beautiful, isn't it? Like, you know, they suddenly are given permission 
for the first time and I'm at to say no or to say yes or to say, well, I could try it differently. And there's a huge amount, like when we get that in an embodied way, like we try it differently or we we say, well, let's all try doing a bit less. And what does that look like? Does that suit you? Maybe it doesn't. And like giving people those little tools are then try like once they get it on the mat, it's like they take it into life, don't they? You know, we've given them other ways of trying and given permission. And then like, well, why don't I do that elsewhere? Is that something you've you've seen or noticed yourself? Yes, definitely. Definitely. There are so many aha moments, you know, it's, it's, and a big part around it is just normalizing as well. Like this morning I was teaching my class and one of the students that normally has got quite a good balance couldn't find her balance. Mm. And it's just like, you know, we all had a bit of a laugh around it and we did some other, um, you know, exercises and movements to help with the balance and kind of saying like, well, sometimes there is balance, sometimes there isn't. It's today your body is different. And can you be curious about it? And can you be kind to yourself as you do it? You know, it's it's kind of creating. And I think that safety is created by that connection that we have with others, by the shared experience that, you know, you don't have to be perfect. And you know, how you are is okay in this moment. And it's okay not to have balance (laughs) on some days or in this moment. And it's okay to feel upset. And it's okay to not know how to do it. And it's okay to do things in a different way. And let's explore, let's be curious about it. Because actually, you know, it's, that's how we learn. And when we experience trauma, and when we experience um, long-term stress, we become stuck in a certain way of responding in a certain way of reacting. And our psychologically, we become quite rigid often. Uh, And, but also physically we become quite rigid in a way that, you know, we just do things in a certain kind of way. So changing it, playing with it, you know, orienting towards well-being, orienting towards, well, what's working here? And maybe something is not positive, but what's neutral? We're so focused sometimes on negative or bad or positive or good or happy. There is this centerpiece of things sometimes are neutral and that's okay. And living and living in a world where there's so much projection around those extremities of emotions the extremities of, you know, what you see on TV or social media or, you know, just in general, you know, to to be in a place that feels okay, mm. to be in a place that feels, in inverted commas, normal, <laughs> to be in a place that actually doesn't really need a lot to be said about it, it just feels right. That's massively undervalued, isn't it? Completely, completely. I think it's like we all are, you know, so caught up in those extremities. And I think social media has got a lot to answer, you know, with all because you can only capture a picture. So if you want to capture a picture, you just capture something that is very expressive. And so it misses out this, this, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm here. I'm not 100%. I'm just somewhere in the middle. I'm not in pain right now, but, you know, Mm. I feel relatively safe in my immediate environment. 
I'm all right. I find I think that's one. Oh. Yeah, so I thought I thought I was on mute. I'm not on mute. As one of the first things I do in session is I set up a safe a safe place. Like, where are we? What can you feel? What can you see? You know, are you, what's your shelter like? Where, how do you feel as you've orientated in your room? Do, is there anything we could change? Is there anything we could add or take away? And I spend a good ten minutes doing that before we do anything else, because actually I think that bit's more useful than touching your toes. If I'm honest. I mean, exactly, Don. I love what you just said because it's it's how you know we back to this. How am I? What do I need? How mm. do I know what I need if I just come in and jump straight into it without mm. actually checking in? <laughs> mm. You know, and and having that moment to arrive. Mm. One of the most powerful uh, practices that you can do is to have to slow down and to have those moments of through the day of just checking in with yourself. Just how am I right now in this moment? How can I take care of myself as I move forward? I just think it's fascinating that, you know, as yoga is evolving and just becoming even more and more a able-bodied practice for people that, you know, can afford to, to do the practice, which is where, you know, mainstream yoga feels like it's heading, really. You know, all of this checking in is is ignored. It's straight into, or you might do a breathing practice and then go straight into into asana, um, which takes up the vast bulk of the the class, and then maybe a little bit of resting at the end. And actually, that to me, there's nothing spiritual about that. That you know, that makes me really sad to think that you know the the quality and the beauty of what uh, a group yoga session could could be versus actually you know what is being offered a lot at this moment in time um and that was something that dawn and i were really interested to talk to you a little bit more around was you know you you've obviously been around in the yoga world for a while and do you think the model of how yoga is presented currently needs to evolve or change in some way yeah, great question, Daniel. I think I think it is changing. Mm. I think it is changing. It's it's definitely. I think there is loads more understanding, loads more uh, trainings that I've seen that address the need to uh, understand more about burnout, about stress, about the nervous system, about trauma, um, and I think that it will continue to evolve. And I think the pandemic has forced us to start looking at it in a different way. And something that you said that about, you know, able bodies and uh, people who can afford yoga. And there is, there is definitely, um, there was definitely a drive to that, the yoga becomes quite um, expensive, and the you know the merchandise that comes with it, the big yoga studios, the big you know that that are run by people who are not necessarily into yoga that much themselves, the money spinning and making um, that model is not not great <laughs> to say the least, and. For me, 
that needs to change. For me, it's, it's you know, we need centers that bring together communities. Like there is a yoga center where I live and, you know, what I see is they, they, they have a cafe and they, they have loads of different meetings, lots of different community groups going in, not just people who do yoga or want to do yoga. There's lots of families and lots of groups and lots of other businesses that go in. And I absolutely love it because the yoga can become this kind of center that is open and welcoming for people, that people can come in and do, do the practice. But I also think that it's a very sad thing if you think that yoga is only for able-bodied because what that means is that you can do yoga when you are younger and when your body is working. <laughs> if you get injury, if something happens to you, if you get ill, that's it. Yoga is not for you. And my experience has been that yoga is, you can practice yoga when you are ill, when something happens to you, when you have an injury, when you've got a disability, when you've got restriction in movement, because yoga is such an amazing healing modality and it's spiritual practice as well. And so you can you you can use it in so many different ways. And for me, it's like it's a useless practice if I can only do it when I'm feeling great on top of the world and I want to, you know, and I've got lots of energy. Because as a woman who's in perimenopause, <laughs> who's coming to 50, my energy levels are all over the place. So I wouldn't be able to do it in that way as I was able to do it in my 20s. And so yoga for me can bring so much relief. It can bring, and this is, this is another thing about trauma-informed approach, to really understand what, what I need from my practice and what my students or my clients need. It's not always about grounding, but what it is about, it's always about stability, inner stability, inner sense of trust, inner sense of feeling empowered through the choices that I make and through my connection and understanding. And that can mean sometimes it needs to be grounding. Sometimes it needs to be maybe more energizing to bring more energy. Sometimes it might have to be more soothing. Sometimes it might have to be more balancing. I need a little bit of yin and then a little bit of yang or the other way around. I need to, you know, I'm very anxious. I need to expand a bit of that energy and then go into more yin. So really understanding what's needed. And again, I'm back to that model. You know, if we can help people to understand how they are, help them to really connect within and then understand what they need and then guide them to make those choices for themselves. Because ultimately with yoga, we don't want people to depend on us, do we? We want them to learn the practices and take them to their daily life so they're transformational and life-changing. So they help with the quality of their life on a daily basis, in their work, in their relationships, in their health. I think that's the power of yoga, you know, and for me, that's the spiritual meaning of yoga. I think for me, one of the most powerful things I've ever learned through my yoga study and then subsequent yoga therapy training 
is encouraging people quite early on to have this understanding of the koshas and these different layers of themselves and how each layer is independent but also massively affected by the other. And when you start to have that understanding of all this is happening within me and around me, and I can learn a very simple process to just go through the steps of walking from the outer body to the, to the inner self and checking in on each of those things, and that can take five minutes, what a massive change that can make, whether you are having to have a really difficult conversation with someone whether you need to check in before you're having a meeting, whether you just need to do it before bedtime just to check in how you are before you sleep. But actually that tool in itself just being something that is expandable and could be the rest of your yoga practice for the rest of your life, you know? <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I absolutely love the Kosha model. And I think it gives us a very integrated you know, it's, it's a very, very much systems thinking model. It's thinking yeah. in systems and the dynamics of the systems. And, you know, it, there is definitely a, a challenge when people just come on one of those levels. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they kind of go into the bliss level, <laughs> forgetting about the body, forgetting about the relationships, forgetting about, you know, uh, the chaos in their life and trying to transmute it into this higher level without understanding that actually you need to bring all of those different levels. If mm. you are going to be healthy, if you're going to feel stable, if you are going to um, show up fully in relationships. Um, so yeah, I love, I love the Kosha model. Mm. Spiritual bypassing. That's right, yes. Exactly. Let's yes. go straight to the happy bit. Yeah. So two things really that for me come up, the spiritual bypassing, as you just said, and the uh, cognitive dissonance. You know, mm. cognitive dissonance meaning what I think and what I feel and how I act are at odds and it creates inner kind of anxiety. Mm. And the spiritual bypassing, as you just said, you know, trying to... I'm going to let go of my anger so I forgive you. And, you know, I don't have a place to live really or stable work. So my basic needs are not being met, but I am going to go and become spiritual. And that can be extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's one of the things that makes my blood boil. The, 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 it's such a big part of the community of people who are involved in the yoga practice and, and in many ways it's not you know they're doing it on purpose to be manipulative or wrong but they just haven't learned you know I'm I hate being corrected around my feelings I'm very vocal if I'm feeling angry I'm feeling angry there's a reason probably I'm feeling angry and you know and the number of people that will tell me oh love and light you're a yoga teacher makes me want to punch them in the head like, there you go. There's my anger. That's real. Don't reframe my feeling. You know, anger, fear, sadness, they're all, but no emotions are bad. They're just information. And hopefully what we do is create a space within us where people are allowed to have, express those feelings. I mean, not, 
you know, I wouldn't literally punch someone in the head. I was being metaphorical. I, I just, you know, to express how they feel about, you know, what their inner experience is. And this idea that as a yogi or a person who's a meditator, that they only feel love and light is truly ridiculous. That's like a one-dimensional experience that is non-human. And, you know, sure, why would you want to not be human when you're in a human incarnation? It's just beyond, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Let's not start me on that one. Daniel, you want to say something? I, I was just going to reiterate to what you just said is actually, you know, I find that fascinating when, you know, people try to make things better or try to try to diminish the emotion that you're having and what I've been trying to do more recently is well if I'm angry why does why why do you feel the need to have to change that yeah what 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 is your relationship with anger that you find so difficult to see in me Mm. that normally stops people in their tracks Yeah, I, I, this is exactly it, Daniel, what you just said. It says something about their own relationship with anger and maybe they're scared of it or maybe their own experience has been that it's been unpredictable when people get angry, mm. you know, especially when men get angry. You know, a lot of people respond to that. And I think, you know, Don, what you just said, all the emotions are there for us to experience and they are there they alert us to something. I mean, anger is such a useful emotion because it alerts us to something not being right. Mm. It's part of us saying, watch out, watch out. You've got to pay attention to it. Something Mm. is going here that is not right. Mm. And we can use those emotions. You know, I would be very worried, and I've seen that, unfortunately, of people just, you know, being very, very um, visibly hurt and then talking about forgiveness. It's they skip the steps in between. Yes, you might get to forgiveness on some level, mm-hmm. but that's down the line. What needs to happen before is that acknowledgement and witnessing and really being with yourself, holding yourself and getting support for the emotions that you are experiencing. Mm-hmm. and. You know, my my um, problem with love and light is also there. And it's like, um, and it might come because, you know, my experience of working with, with people who, if you said to them love and light, that would just really react to it. But it, it, there is a lot of that around. Uh, and, you know, people go into passive aggressive behavior because they mm. don't acknowledge their anger and they don't acknowledge their feelings, but it's still showing up in the way that, uh, you know, they put their post on Facebook or the way that speak to you. And because most of our communication is nonverbal. Mm. And so they might say one thing, but actually it's very clearly perceived by the other person that, you know, they, they, communicating something very different i think there's a huge part for me because i'm perimenopausal like the rage is present (laughs) you know the years and years and years of because of my upbringing and you know my early conditioning in our family and then in an abusive marriage um i i was silenced for so long and like everybody at home knows now like don't worry we're not telling you not to say that (laughs) mum (laughs) <laughs> and it's because I won't be told not to speak 
I mean, I'm not unkind, I'm, you know, and if I am, which, you know, it would be unintentional, I would apologise for that. I, but I think, you know, words were pushed down inside me for a long time and I held that in my body. You speak about the co cognitive dissonance. That was my real lived experience for probably about 35 years. So, you know, I probably was one of those people that was love and light and, and you know, because I didn't want to acknowledge the rage because there was nowhere to put it. And what the practice of, you know, the deeper practices of yoga and, you know, working in therapy for so long or myself first, always before anyone else is like, you, you, it's okay. You're allowed this voice. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to dislike someone's behavior. And as you see, and then once you've expressed your truth, you can move past that and you get to a place of forgiveness. And, and I loved it. It was Jacoby in our earlier um, podcast Jacoby Ballard who is they are wonderful and they said um, let me get this right they, they quoted from somebody else but forgiveness is letting go of the promise that something that's already happened could be rewritten something like that that's not exactly right but that's the thing isn't it it's like that's happened in the past and it had this experience for me it can't change I'm going to the forgiveness is letting go of the wish that it could have been different in some way. And that's, you know, deeply, deeply powerful, I, I think, anyway. So I've, I'm quite enjoying this period of my life where I'm like, you know what? No one puts, no one puts, was it they say in Dirty Dancer, no one puts baby in the corner, no one shuts Dawn up. <laughs> Daniel, you've got to jump in. I, guess. I was just going to, do you know what? Um, just talking about Jacoby, um, I read... Um, instagram for the first time in weeks because i've been having a bit of a hiatus from it but this was the first thing that i saw when i switched on instagram that jacoby had posted and it says the most the most influential person in your life is the one that you've never forgiven Ooh, that's given me chills wow Powerful words. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> like, that's know, all I need from Instagram for another month. Thank you. I'm going to switch it off again now. <laughs> no, Daniel, you can't. You've got to engage in Instagram for work. Stop it. <laughs> you know You know what? And I've been working a lot on this for the past couple of weeks, actually. Actually, the past couple of months, because there's some stuff from my past that's come up that I'm kind of working through right now. And what I realize is the person that I haven't forgiven from the past is myself which is profound. And I've been doing a lot of, and even during this podcast, I've had to do it a few times, sending love back to myself. And it was, I mean, it's something I'm aware to do anyway, but it was it was Nicole Steckenberg, who was um, one of our early psychologists we had on, who taught me, uh, reminded me about that. She's like, she says, you always speak about time being not being linear. She says, well, let me reach back through time and hold your hand. And I found that so moving. And I do that for myself a lot now. Like, when I feel that little tug of guilt, you know, you were speaking earlier, Annette, about childhood abuse. And I was thinking about my own kids and what they went through. And then the guilt just stabbed me as we were all talking. And so I was sending myself compassion back through time. Like at that time, this was going on for you. You were at this point, you were stuck. You had no support and all those feelings, you know, I can't tell you how life changing it is to be able to go back and do that for yourself. And so I'm, you know, for our listeners that are listening in, I want to say to you, you know, it's trauma-informed practice 
can change your present life, you know, really. You're, you know, the stuff that you carry with you that is your jumping off point for every interaction you're having as you move forward, working in a trauma-informed way and looking after yourself can change all of that in such an enriching way. Aneta, sorry, carry on. No, I just wanted to say, Don, it's, it's so powerful what you just said. One of the feedback that I get the most from people, from yoga teachers and therapists who do the trauma-informed training is how profoundly healing and transformative it is for them. And so those practices, you know, those practices are based around self-compassion. Those practices are about really understanding yourself on a very human level and holding space for yourself. And really, when you think about when I think about yoga, this is what I think about, how deeply transformative it is, how much more connection I feel with myself, how much more connection I feel with other people, whether it's loved ones or other people that I come across, and how much uh, more space I can give to myself and I give to others. And one thing that really comes up for me when I, when I think about this is that we have to slow down a little to be able to do it. That part of the problem is that we are all so rushed. We go from one thing to another. We, uh, you know, bigger, the whole society is about bigger, bolder, louder, you know, more impact, more, based on really on the economy growing and so this understanding and this is why perimenopause for example is so amazing <laughs> as you know Don it's like it forces you to slow down you no longer can really go at full speed as you used to you have to start paying attention but paying attention in a different way and we all can do it at any time during during our life, whether you are a man or woman or however you identify yourself, you know, if you are a human being, you can do that for yourself. But it requires you to choose to slow down a little bit because those inner feelings, that, that stuff that comes up, especially if you've been ignoring it for a long time, it's like a little... Uh, somebody said, um, I can't remember who said that, and I really loved it. It's like a little shy animal that you have to kind of invite mm. and be really warm and really unthreatening. And that's how you have to be with yourself if mm. you're going to change those inner relationships with yourself, those parts of you that were hurt, those parts of you that you disowned. And if you're going to move forward in a different way. That's so true. I feel I'm currently reading um, Kate Codrington's book, Second Spring. I'm sure you've read it. Um, we're speaking to Kate in a couple of weeks. And I normally devour books, but I'm making myself do a chapter at a time so I can sit and reflect on it. So I would normally have read this book in two days. I've had it for two weeks. <laughs> so I'm well, disciplining it's myself. interesting. It's interesting you said that, Don, because I think you you suggested that book, uh, yeah. and I, you know, you said that that was very transformative. And I actually I got that book last weekend, and I've just been reading it. So, very powerful stuff. Yeah, it's so powerful, and that she speaks a lot about that that slowing down. And I do feel I feel it's almost like there's an internal break that went off 
and it went stop that's and I've had that before but it's been in burnout this isn't burnout I don't feel burnout I feel like there's just this internal break that's literally like someone's pulled it up the engine's going into reverse and going wait one damn minute like you're going into the next phase of your life however long that happens to be and we're not doing it like you've done it before anymore and we're going to reassess and we're going to look at some wisdom and, and all your old traumas come up it's like someone opens the bucket and pours it on your head and you can't avoid it because it's right there and you've got to look after it so I'm so grateful to have you know amazing support around me and more importantly within me through the practices that we've done we wanted to talk a little bit more around studios and stuff but we really don't have any more time um I kind of would love to maybe have you come back and maybe chat about you know what what the model for studios and teachers are, are is going forwards because it feels like I don't know what you feel Daniel but it feels like a really important conversation that needs to be had because do you want to say something about that well I just think things are shifting so quickly aren't they in terms of you know how you know we've got so many different things going on we're you know we're experiencing group trauma from mm -hmm. you know the pandemic from this war we've got our own personal stuff that we're constantly you know working with or you know exploring depending on what our journey is but then also you know for many people they are finding themselves now with a lot less expandable income than what they had so therefore things like a yoga class might be put on the kind of you know leisure tourism list and crossed off quite quickly because it's it's not a necessity and I think that in itself plus what happened through the pandemic of the internet being used in a completely new way to many of us has really shifted everything around and I think you know for us as studio owners um, or Dawn and I studio owners you know things are looking very, very different to what they did two and a half years ago. And we don't know what direction to go in. Um, I don't know if that's similar to what you've experienced, Annetta. Yeah, so uh, very interesting. It's, it's, I, I had a studio for six years, little studio where I live, and I closed it three years ago. And mm -hmm. that was because that was before the pandemic. Uh, hit and that was because I uh, realized that the way that I would have to run it was not the way that I wanted to run it mm. and uh, I was on my own and you know I ended up being being there seven days a week um, I wanted more freedom and it just wasn't and you know it, it wasn't working for me mm. and what I've observed about you know yoga studios for the last two years and how many yoga studios have closed the studio model um is just unsustainable and i think you were talking about people not having so much income and and this is something that what we want to change really if you are as a yoga studio owner to survive it needs to become more of a community. It needs to be more inclusive. It needs to be run by people, you know, like, like the two of you who are doing that work, not by somebody who comes in 
and they want to make money out of it and open six or eight studios around and kind of get lots of different teachers through so they can make money on it. I think it needs to become more, yeah, more, more about community, more about inclusivity and not just around yoga practice, but to bring different aspects of community into it. You know, it's like, it makes me think about the youth centers that we used to have, that used, mm-hmm. to, that used to do loads of different stuff. It wasn't just for young people. There were other groups that were using those centers. Um, you know, many of them are closed now. There are very few remaining. And so rebuilding community, I think, needs to be the focus. And also, you know, I'm not saying that you have to work and get another job in order to support that studio but I think if we bring communities and different groups into our centers it will you know it will flourish it will become known for creating that community and yoga is a part of it I think Mm -hmm. keeping yoga so separate and so exclusive and so expensive I mean it's like I still don't have a yoga mat that costs 120 pounds you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Or leggings that cost hundred pounds. I can't afford it as a yoga teacher. And I've been teaching for 12 years. It's become so out of, uh, out of proportion that it's, it's become um, inaccessible to, you know, to many of us. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that conversation, I think, we could massively expand so why don't we revisit that at some point um Anetta we're gonna have to round up our session now and thank you so much for being here today um there's one question I always like to ask everyone how do you take care of yourself ah good question good question so uh I do it in few different ways so number one I have got my daily practice and that daily practice includes yoga. And when I say yoga, it includes uh, movement, it includes postures, it includes breath work, it includes uh, meditation. Uh, I do a lot of journaling. Um, and I also do something that is called focusing embodied listening. So working with felt senses. So really taking it deeper to understand what how I am, mm. what I need and what I can do to meet those needs. But that's about my own inner resourcing. And in addition, I take Oscar, our dog, three times a day for a walk, which is great. But in addition to that, I also have got support that I can ask for from others. Mm. So I have got a mentor I belong to some groups uh, that I, I can reach out to, that I meet on a weekly basis. I have got, and I've had for the last four years, a focusing um, buddy, uh, a friend that I've done a lot of training with, that we meet up once a week and we hold space for each other. I also have got a therapist, uh, internal family systems therapist that I've been working with for quite a long time. So I've got a lot of support around me um, mm. because I understand how important that is. Um, and, you know, when I left social care six years ago from working in social care and having lots of support and clinical supervision and other managers and structures in place as I was working with people, 
I suddenly had nothing and mm-hmm. I was completely on my own. And I had to put all this support around me because I understand that as a human being, I have got my bad days. Things happen to me. I doubt myself. Uh, I, you know, I know anxiety very, very well. I experience trauma that comes up. And sometimes I can't do it for myself. No matter how many resources and tools I have, I need other people to hold the space for me uh, and to witness how I am and to acknowledge how I am and to normalize (laughs) my experience. And so I've built that around me and it's part of my self-care system. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that thing about having a strong community around yourself that you can fall into when you start to fall apart is is vital, isn't it? It really is. Completely. Would you like to let people know where they can contact you? I, I believe you said your next course, I think by the time this podcast goes out, might have just started, but you're doing one in May and then another one in October. And would you like to let people know where they can contact you? Uh, to, yes, to thank sign you. Up? Thank you. So I run uh, 80-hour trauma-informed yoga and embodied resilience teacher training and mentoring course. Uh, and that's accredited with Yoga Alliance professionals. And this is a training for people, for yoga teachers, already accredited yoga teachers and therapists who want to become a trauma-informed yoga teacher with mm-hmm. focus on somatics and embodied resilience Um, and you can find all the information on my website which is uh, www.anettai.co.uk and you can also find me on Facebook under Aneta Yoga and Instagram Aneta Yoga. so I'm quite uh, I would I don't want to say busy but I'm quite active on, especially on Facebook, I have got a Facebook group called Trauma Informed Yoga and Embodied Resilience for Social Impact. And so, if you if you just look for Aneta I Yoga, I'm sure you will find me there. And I'd love to really say that you know these conversations are so important. And thank you so much for inviting me today to have this conversation because this is what makes difference. Um, you know, talking about it, naming it and looking at the ways that we can, you know, support each other, that we can move forward in a different way because the world requires us to move forward in a different way now. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all of the work that you've done. You know, you've clearly helped thousands of people in points of desperation and then now to go on to train others to, to be able to support them in different ways is just phenomenal. So thank you for that contribution that you've made. And thanks for being our guest today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dawn, as ever, for being my co-host. And if you enjoyed the podcast today, please do let us know. Leave us a review on the Apple podcast page or drop us an email at the Anahata email address on our website. So until next time, thank you, Aneta. Thank you, Dawn. And thank you for listening. Thank you.